Hello, Bib Lovers. You've tuned in, tuned in to FabRadioInternational.com or you're listening to Starburst Magazine's family of podcasts. Either way, you're listening to The Bookweb, brought to you by FabRadioInternational.com and Starburst Magazine. My name is Ed Fortune. And I'm Del. So on today's show, um, after we've done a bit of book news, I will be talking about Fiona Staple, Staples and Brian K. Vaughan's saga. Ooh. And I will be talking about The Beautiful Land uh, by Alan Averill. But coming up next, we have book news! Those hands are playing the strangest musical instrument in the world. The only instrument that is not touched by hand. You ask for it. I listen to FabRadioInternational.com. Okay, let's get to the first piece of controversial book news so we can get it out of the way. Um, it's Hugo Award related, of course <laughs> it is, because every year we always have this nonsense and I'll get to that in a moment and I'll, I'll, if I'm permitted to do so, I will rant for a bit. But are not. Go. Oh, I'm going to do anyway. Okay, so Irene Gallo um, is a fabulous editor. She has worked very hard in the industry. She's very well regarded. Um, and she worked recently with Cameron Hurley on a book about feminism and geeks. Sounds marvellous, sounds fantastic, and on her private Facebook page, her own personal fi- private Facebook page, um, she said, take that, sad puppies. And when someone went, ooh, what are the sad puppies? She said some very nasty things about them. Lots of people have said some, said some very nasty things about them. If you listen to the show, you'll have heard us say some very nasty things about them. No. They're, they're, they're the sad puppies. They are a bunch of right-wing people who have forced their agenda onto a community that is looking very confused and a bit scared about it. Um, Anyway, she said some mean things about the sad puppies, and a certain member of the puppies faction, uh, who we will not name directly, but we have referred to in the past as John Scalzi's substandard nemesis, um, screen-capped this and then sat on it for a period of time, waited for his moment... And then republished it. Oh, that's that's upsettingly calculated. Yes, it's extremely calculated. Oh. Um, at which point, Tor were Tor felt that they had to distance themselves from Irene Gallo. They issued a statement, which you can read on the Tor website. It's called a message from Tom Do- Doherty, um, and that was quite diversive as well because some people were like, "But the publishers should be supporting their editors. They should be backing them." And other people were like, "No, they have to. They have to do what they have to do, and they have to, you know, they have to be seen to be neutral because they they did do because from all of the political spectrum and so." and a whole load of nonsense and various people like Chuck Wendig and Cameron Hurley herself and a whole bunch of other people have gotten on board and there's been lots of shouting and Eric Flint has tried to be reasonable but right wing and so on and there's lots of voices all shouting at once and I'm sick of the American culture wars staining the Hugo Awards and staining world sci-fi yeah, I am sad now like it's you know when you just like every 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 extra step on this i it just makes me more sad like it's like that that is what you've done you've it, made sad people it's we you, you've made us sad yeah we, we have we are we are sad kitties and never mind puppies we like puppies we like kitties we are sad we're not actually no we're sad people because we are yeah. people never mind this animal nonsense where it, it's just sad and sickening and stop it um, just just stop being so sad and petty. And yes, okay, there is a calculated side to this where certain people involved are using it to generate publicity for themselves. And, and I'm aware that that's going on. I'm aware, aware that that's going on. And every time I look at someone who do, who joins in um, and then says, buy my book, I'm like, I'm not buying your book, dude. Yeah, that's... Oh. I, I'm not getting involved, um, but we have to talk about it because it's part, you know, because otherwise someone will be like, "Oh, we, surely you should." We, okay, so yeah, we mentioned it. It is book way. news, so um, uh. my my solution is going to be here is my bias uh, about this entire side of things. If you want this to stop, 
this is an artifact of the fact that the Hugo Awards and Worldcon is too American focused. It is too American focused. If you want this to change, you need to bring Worldcon into the world. Um, you mm. should, if you're a member of of Worldcon, you should absolutely vote for non-American, non-North American, so Canada and America, right out. Don't vote for those for site selection. Try and make the world cons elsewhere in the world. Bring the rest of the world in. Because what you'll get is you'll get a greater diversity of voices. And by bringing a greater diversity of voices, we'll slowly but surely flush out this political nonsense. And do you know what? We'll also get to see books from the rest of the world. Because at the moment, we're just seeing, mostly we're seeing books from uh, from England, uh, from from the Great Britain and America. Mm. And, you know, most of us missed Memory of the Water. And it's amazing. You know, and it's Finnish, which is why you should vote for Helsinki. But anyway, <laughs> you know, it, it's there is so much more out there, and the world is so much bigger than your 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 narrow paradigm. Stop dragging it down to one narrow channel. Just just embrace the rest of the world, please. And to echo the station, embrace the alternative. Anyway, no more Discworld. No more Discworld. Not a total surprise, really. That's yeah. I kind of because. We had a conversation on Facebook, sort of, didn't we? Like, I think it, it, it didn't feel like news. I think it's what what we all kind of knew was is the right thing to do. Yeah, I mean, Rihanna Pratchett turned around and said, "Absolutely, you know, this is this is the end." We don't know about the diaries. No, we yeah, we don't know what's going on with the diaries or any of that sort of thing. Um, but apart from that, no more, no more Discworld. Um, I, I I'm going to make my prediction about Shepherd's Crown, and I know it's going to get me stared at, but I predict with Shepherd's Crown that a major character in the Disc World will die. I think he's he's picked his moment. I think he always intended to do it. He's been mm. foreshadowing it. If you've read the Tiffany Aiken books, you know who I'm talking about. Yeah, uh, you know. And if you don't, you can tweet us. We're on Radio Bigworm. You can Facebook us. You can get in touch and say, well, "Who do you mean? Which character's going to die?" You know who's going to die. You know. You know, and it's it's coming. We know it's coming. Happier news. Chris yeah, Riddell is Chris Riddell is children's <laughs> laureate. Yay. Yay. We, we love Chris Riddell. He's amazing. Yes. Um, the the joy, the sheer joy that he draws with, and every single piece of work that I've seen him produce. Mm, I, yeah. I mean, fortunately, the milk is actually one of my favourite Neil yeah, Gaiman books. Like, if you think like Chris Waddell is the reason that 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 book has different illustrations in the UK to anywhere else. Like it was such a, like when um, myself, uh, Ed, and producer Al went to see a, a kind of Neil Gaiman talk, um, and he did like a reading about um, fortunately the milk, and. Um, no, from that, sorry. And that's one of the things he was saying about like when he sent it to Chris just to look at, there was no doubt in Chris's mind that he was illustrating that book and it was something that, that, that Neil Gaiman hadn't even thought of, which apparently yeah, he said he felt bad about. But like that's and that's really awesome to to know that you have such a nice relationship with someone and that because you have so much glee in what you do, that someone will go, Well yeah, yeah, you know what, in the UK it, it's yours. Like, it'll be different for you. Um, his golf girl stuff, his space stuff yes. as well. It's so much fun, and he—he's just—he's the perfectly the right person for children's laureate. And I think everyone, uh, when when it was announced, I think um, the community's response was like, "Yeah, that's perfect." Yeah, uh, yeah. And it's nice also to see an illustrator as children's laureate because we will remind you that the creation of of books that involve illustrations is a collaborative process and you know it's just as much work on the part of the writer as it is as part of the illustrator and the part of a team they are authors of a curative work it's not just the writer the writer is an author the illustrator is also an author that's the deal that's how yeah. it works people um he's actually um come out and supported the whole illustrators to gain equal credit with writers uh, he's joined Sarah McIntyre's uh, Pitches Mean Business campaign. We're fans of Sarah McIntyre as well. In fact, mm. she's 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 just again the sheer glee. Yeah, like Pitches Means Business is a, a Pitches Mean Business is like a, a hashtag brand, which is pretty cool. So I think that's definitely one to have a, a search of later and and get involved and see what's going on. Shall we talk about Danger Mouse? No, the pictures mean business on um like like you just said. Yeah. It's like hashtag pictures mean business campaign. Yes. So like hashtag campaigns are really interesting things to just search in Twitter and then just see what people are chatting about and 
because social media people have a, a, an opinion you can actually reach and you can find out more about what's going on by going on to that hashtag mm-hmm. and now can we talk about danger mouse Danger would, you, would you like to talk about Danger Mouse? Danger Mouse, Danger Mouse. Have, have we got time, producer Al? It's Danger Mouse. Probably. <laughs> very, very briefly. Very briefly. A penguin have started doing a series of official guides, sticker books, novelty books, annuals, ebooks, and everything involving uh, involving Danger Mouse, including a guide to how to become a super spy. So if you're six to seven years old and you want to become a spy, just like Danger Mouse is, then you can. You've got to remember, of course, that Danger Mouse, of course, is the children's TV version of Nick Fury. Uh, at some point... <laughs> At some point, he's going to get a whole team together, uh, including a team of Wombles, and they're going to go, <laughs> and they're going to save the world. I look forward to that movie. Who is the Marvel equivalent of Penfold? Oh, it's going to be Maria Hill, which is slightly worrying. There you go. Maybe it's Hawkeye. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. The literal parallel of, like, a blind mole. <laughs> it's Hawkeye. It's Hawkeye. No, it works. It works in my head. But then I am crazy. Um, have we run out of the news section? Yes. Okay, oh, shall yeah, I go yeah. and talk about Saga? Yes. Okay, well, I'll after be talking... After these messages. After these messages. So, because I can, I'm going to be talking about Image Comics um, Saga series, volumes one to four, by Brian K. Vaughan and Fiona Staples. And let me let me say, Saga is completely awful. Lying. Yeah, uh, I am totally lying. It's it, it's brilliant. It's absolutely amazing. And let me just explain to you the insanity that it is. For a start, it features the Lion Cat, which is a cat, large panther-like thing, that if you if you fib. It goes lying in the most in the most obnoxious way possible. So, so they'll be in the middle of a negotiation. It'll just go lying. He's like, "Hmm, well, there you go. Um, It's a love story. What? Yeah. (laughs) Um, It's it's right. Okay, so we've got this has gone in a direction I did not expect. We've got two. We've got two characters. The two main characters we have is uh, Alana, who's from Landfall, and Marco, who's from Reef. Reef is a moon. Landfall is the planet that the moon orbits. Um, the people from Reef have horns. The people from Landfall have wings. Um, you can imply that they're demons and angels, but you're wrong. Um, and they've been having a war with each other for a very long time. And unfortunately, they can't blow each other up because their planets depend on each other for, for survival. Um, so they've they've outsourced their war, and this galactic civil war has now hit everywhere, and it's you know the galaxy is covered in this this petty civil war that's going on. Um, Alana from Landfall falls in love with Marco from Reef. Oh, now <laughs> they've been at war since forever, and the the way they fall in love is rather sweet. He is a prisoner of war; she is a guard. She reads this a novel that changes her life because Saga is many things, but it's also about the power of words. Um, she reads the book to him. He uh, learns her language. Um, they they don't do that. It's one of the things they don't do. They don't even speak to each other in the same language because there's a whole thing and a whole cultural thing because they hate each other so much as, as races. Um, they fall in love. They have a baby. We know they have a baby because the book actually starts with a birth and the novel itself the the series itself is narrated by by hazel by the little girl oh hazel's a lovely name it is oh it's said several times as well oh hazel's a lovely name and there's a there's a whole thing going on with with them trying to name because at one point they go it should definitely be an H word, but it shouldn't be hope. Let's not call our hybrid daughter between two two uh, two warring, warring nations, nations hope. Um, <laughs> so so they Jinx. run. So so they run. They you know these two people run both both sides. Realize that they're a symbol of peace and unity and love, and don't want that at all. So they're being hunted. Um, and they run and they run and they run they find themselves in a spaceship garden and they get themselves on a wooden spaceship um, which is powered through sacrifice and uh, sacrifice of something from your past oh okay so symbolism (laughs) 
Um, so is it a metaphor? It is indeed a metaphor. It's metaphor, isn't it? All full of metaphors. The, one of the right. Okay, so the things that are pursuing them include um, uh, a bald dude called the Will, who has a who has as his sidekick sidekick the lying cat. Uh, the cat is, you know, tells you if you're lying. Yeah, I was uh, wondering where that was going to fit in. Lying. lying. He's a, he's he's a bounty hunter. He is hunting Amazing. them down. His mission is to take the baby and kill the parents. Um, he is competing with the stork, who is his ex-girlfriend, who no. is a legless, armless, naked spider lady with spider legs. All right, I was going to say, how, are what? you a spider lady if you do, if you're legless? But right, okay, so she's legs. not she's got human legs. Not got human legs. Not got but, people legs. Got spider uh, legs. And, and uh, all sorts of different weapons as well, and things come out, and she's scary. Um, she's called the Stalk, and she's pale, and she's uh, run away. Um, also, there's Prince Robot. Um, <laughs> actually, Prince Robot the Fourth. What? This is amazing. He is a. I'll, I'll make it even more amazing by showing oh. you that picture. Uh, I've just shown good radio. Good radio. I've yeah. just shown <laughs> a picture of a uh, of an android with a television for a head, um, sitting on the toilet reading a book. Uh, Prince Robot's actual motivation is this: he is sent on a mission to do the same thing, hunt them down, and kill the two two uh, two parents and take the baby. Um, and he can't finish his mission. Um, he can't go come home until he finishes his mis- mi- mission. Right. Thing is, his wife is about to give birth. So, so he, he wants, needs to get it done quite quick. He needs to get this sorted. You know, there's a baby on the way. Uh, he needs to get this. Let's not mess about. Let's not mess around. Mm. Let's just hunt these people down, get it done, because he needs to go home. So are the assassins from from the two nations the, the, as well, the, like both sides have the, sent people after the, There's different, different sides have different interests, uh. different vested interests, but none of them want them involved. Not, not, you know, everyone is after them because, of, because they are a symbol. Um, Poor Hazel's parents. It's firstly, it's space fantasy. So one of one of the, one of the jokes about a saga was it's Star Wars for perverts, um, <laughs> in the sense that you've got these big spaceships and you've got laser swords and you've got magic. You've actually got magic. The magic is powered through things like secrets and wishes, and you you give something up of significance for spells to work. Spells spells are difficult. Magic is magic is dangerous. But also amazing, you know. You can heal people. You can. You can't bring the dead back to life, but you can get pretty close. Um, the first babysitter they find for Hazel is a ghost. She's a ghost of a teenage girl. She she's got no legs because of a landmine. But you know, she she floats around in a, in a t-shirt, uh, being quite sarcastic. Um, How does she change nappies? But she's a, she's got hands. She's a ghost. She she's a, so she's a ghost that can interact. She's. I think she's a poltergeisty ghost. Uh, okay. But there's there's a there's a whole there's a whole slew of, of stuff that is going on. Um, it's a it's got seals in overalls. <laughs> it's got giant dead god robot baby monsters. It's got weirdness coming out of the sides. Um, Fiona Staples has made this world look absolutely amazingly gorgeous. It's written by Brian K. Vaughan. Um, you'll be familiar with Brian K. Vaughan from Why the Last Man or from Runaways, both of which are absolutely fantastic, uh, fantastic pieces of work. Put it this way, when when Brian K. Vaughan stopped doing Runaways, they needed to find someone to replace him. So who did they get? They got Josh Whedon. Right, okay. So that's that's where he is on that, ah. that line. And another thing, you're, you're not going to be able to find the novel adaptation. This is only going to be a graphic novel. Don't wait for the movie. It ain't happening. Don't wait for the TV series. It ain't happening. They have said specifically that this is an epic, this is a saga for graphic novel format only. And so if you don't read comic books and you find this interesting, you're going to have to get into comic books, I'm afraid, because they have deliberately said that they, 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 this is not going mm. anywhere But else. I think sometimes some stories do kind of help you cross a format, and even if you're not like a graphic novel or comic book reader... Um, sometimes that there is a story that helps you be able to see past the, the problems that you have reading them um, and so maybe this is a story to do that it doesn't mean you have to get into those things or read any afterwards but if, if it and it sounds amazing it, it's definitely going to be I'm going to be looking that up a lot it does the things that only comic books can do mm. in the fact that it, it it creates visually a whole world um, and be, yeah it does that kind of inner narrative thing that novels can do 
And obviously comic books can't do that quite as well because the picture is in the way, but mm-hmm. the pictures do their own side of things. It's that you know, it's that mix of the two that makes comic books so unique. It's that powerful storytelling medium. Did I love it? Yes, of course I did. Um, should you read it? Yes, you should. If you are not a comic books person, but you kind of think you might be missing out on something, then you should try it with Saga. Give Saga a go. Um, it's in its fourth volume now. Um, it's going to be going on for a while. Um, yeah, they haven't done the thing where they've given each volume like a clever name, like in Sandman. Okay. Just volume one, volume two, volume three, volume four. Which, do you know what? I quite like. Yeah, yeah. I quite like that. Yeah. Well, I suppose like in a, in a book, like you don't have to name the chapters. You know, like, the hardest thing is coming up with titles for the chapters of the books or the book itself. Ridiculous. Harder than actually writing the damn thing. I mean, there mm-hmm. are markers throughout with the story that are, you know, would help you navigate, but this. You know, it's just volume one, volume two, volume three, volume four. That's nice. Uh, and yeah, uh, read it. I, I loved it. Uh, Fiona Staples um, has been lauded for her artwork. Brian K. Vaughan has been lauded for his creative stuff. Get it? As <laughs> simple as you're Get missing it. out. If you're missing out, if you don't, um, it's the comic book that all your comic book reading friends will be talking about. That's when they're not talking about the Wicked <laughs> and the Divine, which is also quite good. <laughs> but um, yeah. Across the world, 24 hours a day. This is Fatboyian International. So it was my absolute pleasure to talk to Rami's Nam, and that's the bit of the show that's coming up now. This it's Fab Radio International. Ramiz Nam, welcome to the Bookworm. Thank you, Ed. Great to be here. What can you tell us about your latest work? Uh, my latest book is called Apex. It's the final book in the Nexus trilogy. It comes after Nexus and Crux. And uh, Nexus is a technology that links people mind to mind. It's a drug that you swallow, that's little nanobots in your brains that links people. And this third book is sort of the explosive conclusion of what if millions of people have it and uh, an Arab Spring sort of thing is happening across the world and people are uploading brains and global revolution meets cybercrime meets... Uh, action thriller. So could you describe it as a post-singularity thriller? Not, not exactly. Uh, some people have, have called it that. I'm not big on the, the concept of the singularity exactly. Um, it's A lot of people think of it as a book about uh, sort of the path to the singularity. Uh, and uploading is a theme, uh, and it's a very important theme at part of it. Uh, but the core technology is not about... Uh, uploading ourselves into brains it's a, or into computers. It's actually about uh, interfacing technology into our brains, enabling people to have telepathy and communicate back and forth. With all the positive outcomes you can have with that, like, oh my gosh, we can be empathic, we can boost group intelligence and make faster scientific discoveries, and all the negative implications. Oh, you can hack someone's brain. You can trick them into taking a hacked version of this, and then you can have mind control for uh, political reasons or to steal money. Uh, Or what if the NSA has a back door into this? So I try to show the good and bad sides of it. How close is your work to the future? Uh, Well, I would say that my work is here already. Uh, We just don't realize it in the sense of we already have all of our minds linked together. Uh, Three billion people now have mobile phones around the world. So we're already in this sort of global brain. Uh, My friend Bruce Schneier, who writes on security, uh, he just uh, has this quote that Google knows more about what he's thinking than his wife does, actually, which I think is quite interesting. Uh, And so all the issues that my brain or that my books bring up of – can this connectivity from person to person uh, bring us closer to spirituality? Can it uh, enrich our emotional lives? Can it increase the pace of innovation? Can it increase freedom? 
or does it lead to more social control and more oppression? I think they're all relevant right now. How has technology changed our reading habits? Well, today, right now, we read more than ever. Uh, we just tend to read in a different form. Uh, and it's not just tweets and Facebook. Uh, the essay has taken off. You read People read articles on The Atlantic or Slate in the U.S. or uh, similar sites in the U.K. or France. Uh, and those essays are spreading remarkable ideas. They're popularizing uh, important data. Uh, we're better informed than at any age uh, and video also has taken off. Now, it used to be that only a few hundred people in the world, maybe a few thousand, could be filmmakers. Now, millions of people can be filmmakers, and billions can be film consumers. So I think that's amazing. So the logical extension of that. So I viewed Nexus as, so, a, so with Nexus, I said, what's the logical extension of that? And the science of actually putting electrodes in the brain is real. We have rats that uh, can use electrodes in their brain to uh, communicate telep telepathically to other rats thousands of miles away. There's an experiment where two rats, one in North Carolina, one in Brazil, are telepathically communing and learning things from each other. We have humans that have had vision pumped into their brain by electrodes. We have uh, people that have uh, been given the ability to control robot arms. So I said, well, what if we take that out further and we think of that as a medium for information technology, and you get almost like the matrix. You can transmit uh, full-fledged virtual reality, and you can transmit thoughts, and you can transmit knowledge and experience. Where does that take us beyond even text and video? And it really is just sort of taking the current trend in society and amplifying it all out. What's next? Uh, a vacation. <laughs> um, I will write more science fiction. I have more ideas. Uh, there are a lot of themes that I think are really interesting. I think the theme of uh, technological-based inequality is really interesting right now. Technology has always brought new wealth to society and always destroyed jobs at the same time. From the first mechanical loom, it did that. Uh, we have the term Luddite because Ned Ludd was a man who destroyed machines that automated the weaving process because he was afraid they would destroy jobs. And they did. They destroyed the jobs of all these weavers, but they brought new wealth to society. But now can we keep up? Can we keep up when, in my country, in the U.S., three million people drive cars, drive automobiles for a living, and the Google self-driving car is a better driver than all of them? So that self-driving vehicle is a good thing for society. It will save a million people are killed by cars around the world. Uh, and that self-driving car will just be a far better driver. But can we keep up as far as jobs or how do we change society? So that's one thing I'm thinking about as a possible theme for next book. What other works do you have coming out soon? Well, I've written nonfiction also. Actually, I have two nonfiction books out. My first, uh, More Than Human, was about using biotechnology to augment human abilities. And most of the science in Nexus comes from that book. And then I have another book out called The Infinite Resource, The Power of Ideas on a Finite Planet, about how can we uh, respond to climate change and other environmental and natural resource problems. Can we innovate fast enough in things like uh, renewable technology, solar and wind and batteries? And that's another passion of mine. I do a lot of talking about uh, energy and the energy transition. What inspires you? Um, I'm inspired by people who are passionate and unafraid to take a stand and who at the same time deeply understand uh, what's going on at a detailed level. So uh, I always say that Cory Doctorow is someone who inspires me uh, because Cory is he's whip smart. Uh, he really understands what's happening uh, in the world and what's happening on a few specific issues with civil liberties and, and copyright and uh, and freedom of speech. And he uses his platform at Boing Boing and with his books to relentlessly push for uh, change in society, change in laws, uh, and that's inspirational to me. It, it's not, he doesn't use his platform to promote himself. He uses it to try to make the world a better place. So that's inspirational. Technology-wise, what's the next big thing? I think the next big technological shift is taking our current technologies and getting them out to all 7 billion people in the world. So we see today, 3 billion people now have um, mobile devices, 
and about the same number are on the internet. Uh, within uh, by 2020, we think about five billion people will have mobile devices, uh, and so that. So I'm. Can I can I start that over? Actually, I got the numbers wrong. So so I think the next big shift is connecting the whole world. So today there are about five billion people with phones. About three billion are on the internet. Most of them have sort of dumb phones, if you will. We're headed for a world very soon, in the next 10 years, where nearly everyone has a smart mobile device that is really a supercomputer in their pocket that's more powerful than a billion dollars of computing was uh, a few decades ago, and that connects them to almost all of the world's information. And that has huge potential for reducing poverty around the world. Uh, it's something that destroys corruption because corruption grows in the shadows. And when you can take a picture of someone taking a bribe or of police beating someone up, that corruption tends to go down. Uh, it's something that spurs innovation because people can innovate faster when they can spread ideas. So that is the, the technological shift that I think really accelerates progress around the world and accelerates freedom and uh, reduces inequality. If you had one book that would survive the end of civilization, what would it be? Uh, if I could print a copy of Wikipedia and store that, I would do so. <laughs> that's probably a cheat. <laughs> that's what I would do. Simpsons or Futurama? <laughs> uh, Simpsons. Magic or clockwork? Clockwork. Truth or beauty? Truth. Who means none? Thank you very much for your time. Thank you so much. So, is this potentially currently dead air? Not anymore. Oh, not anymore. Ah, okay. Hi, sorry. <laughs> Technical <laughs> issues there. Aha, uh -huh. right, right there, right there, sorry. So everyone, uh, today I'm going to be talking to you about The Beautiful Land by Alan Averill. Um, it's published by Titan Books. Um, if anyone's like re a regular listener to our show and they, they've heard me before, I've I've actually only reviewed books that I love. And generally that's because I do, I do tend to love most books. Um, so this is going to be a different one. <laughs> Just already starting with that. Um, and unfortunately, un unlike Ed earlier, I'm, I'm, I'm not lying. Um so yeah the the beautiful land the the blurb on the back well the kind of the mission statement so to speak because you've got your big blurb but then you've got your like tagline bit um boy meets girl boy loses girl boy steals a time machine and attempts to save girl and the world from impending annihilation sounds really interesting sounds really catchy i personally do not think that is what this story is about this story is the story of uh, a few years ago, a boy is offered, it is not the job of a lifetime, it's an impossible job. It's a job that doesn't exist, but is, uh, because of his skill set um, as an explorer, is the dream of all dreams. And so he, he takes this job and eventually, over the process of a few years, um, discovers that he does not like the company that he works for. And so he attempts to stop their diabolical plan, uh, which, yes, indeed, it, it, it turns out to involve impending world annihilation. Um, but in saving the world, he can save the girl. I personally think is what that story is. I don't know why the tagline is making it into more of a love story than it actually is. Um, in the actual blurby bit on the back, it says about, like, in love from the moment they met. And it's I'd like, really? Is that it, it? Like I genuinely reading through, I was like, I didn't, I didn't get that sense. I got really the friendship is there, and you can tell that they they love each other, but it didn't feel like kind of a romantic need for each other. That motivation kind of wasn't there, um, and I think to be honest, like trying to sell it as a love story, it's a really interesting idea. It's a really interesting kind. Of, it's a, it's an, yeah. It's an interesting idea for a story. Um, it just it misses 
on that. Um, essentially, the um, Takahiro, um, or Tak, as, as the main character is called, um, this job that he gets gets kind of uh, pulled in for involves using a machine to travel to different pockets of time and kind of gather information. But time is not linear. So the the first time he he eventually the first time he gets to anywhere that even resembles kind of the, our world, they're like, can you? They ask him to do something with like a bomb, like he's supposed to blow something up, and so then we'll know if that kind of worked. Um, but he's not in the place that he's supposed to be in, so he blows up the Eiffel Tower, gets back to current time, and the Eiffel Tower is still there, and that bombing never existed; it never happened, and so it's kind of. It's time based on a kind of a parallels idea. Um, but yeah, it just, it it misses everything. It feels really under-researched. Like, I'm, I'm, I live in a world now where when I read a book, even it, like things in the realms of absolute fiction, authors have researched into kind of terms they can use, science that maybe people think exists, and like how these things can come about. Where it's literally just like, there's a machine that does a thing um there's like certain questions that are raised like to almost to the point of being plot holes and then later on in the story someone's like oh we're just protected by this building like why what? yeah and it's like but but ha- like what how why? you see i like a plot point that's left dangling if it's going to get a resolution but that's, later it's not even it's not a plot point that's left dangling it literally just feels like you're you're reading it going but why aren't why it- are these people still if you, oh, what? If you okay. build and plot flanges into a plot, you build them in at the start. So if, if you've got a set of rules to your reality, your flange, flange a thing that you add to a machine to make it work, um, your plot flange is, is a thing that you ha- you've added on a thing, and you, you have to have them front and centre, otherwise you get disappointed. Yeah, it just, it felt, it's one of those problems as well, like if there's a plot hole, there's a plot hole, but you can't cover up a plot hole just by going, just, I've it's fine. Like that's not that's not a resolution to anything. Just being like, accept that it's a thing that happens. Like in, when I work with new writing and we look at script analysis for for theatre plays, that's that's lazy writing that you wouldn't you wouldn't let on stage. And I don't know like how like oh it was it's an, an exceptionally frustrating. But add to that the fact that I only believe in two of these characters and one of them isn't even a principal character. Um, oh, that's not good. No, it's not good. Um, but to be honest, one of the big problems I had is it took me a while to realise that I just didn't like it. And granted, I think it's because it's an unusual feeling for me. I'm not used to not enjoying a book. Um, and I think it was because it was such an interesting idea, I didn't notice that I didn't like it until quite far in. And um, I think most of it just rests in the language. Um, there's just really, really weird language use. Like There's a bit where it's really interesting. There's like um, several short paragraphs making a point about like a big part that's just happened in the story and every paragraph has a not supposed to theme so you've got like i'm not supposed to be here you're not supposed to be here these kids are not supposed to be here i'm not supposed to be here which yes they've already used um and that thing is not supposed to be here interesting and a nice way to kind of especially because it wasn't until quite far down that i realized that that's how each paragraph ended based Mm -hmm. on kind of the the perspective of the person giving okay so yeah that was interesting liked that a lot and then there's other things that kind of they just they just miss it. So things like that, clever, but why have a repetition of one of them if you're making a point? Um, then things like when they're talking about the, the, the this big change that potentially signals the end of the world, they harper on that like art oh, not with a bang but with a whimper. Like they kind of allude to that, but it's not with a bang or a whimper. It ends in blackness, and it just stuck. And there's certain because I'm, I'm I like language and things, but if things stick. It will take me out of a story, and I was constantly being taken out of this story. And um, there's an episode of How I Met Your Mother where they talk about when when the glass shatters, when someone points something out to you and you then can't ignore it. Mm-hmm. And it always reminds me of once when I was at university and someone once just went, our lecturer's hands are so small. And then I never <laughs> listened not, not to a it. word of his lectures again because yep. all I could look at was the fact that he had really small hands. Um, I realised... Um, the the one that kind of made me realise is the bit it's like the dot became a yawning purple hole that leaks out of the sky and into the streets crawling down buildings crawling down buildings like a thick syrup 
Um, granted, I don't think that's a visual image that I can really, really follow. But I was like, that's a really odd simile. Shattered glass. This book is rife with similes that are completely inappropriate for the situation that's happening. Something genuinely tense and terrifying is happening. Because um, there, are, there are some genuinely suspensey moments. There are some terrifying bits. Um, in this instant, there is a creature kind of bird-like but at one point the story just goes oh it's not really but that's what your brain's helping you think it is so you've got a comparison i was like what yeah anyway not the point um so yeah this this bird is at full capacity um so it's not her it's genuinely terrifying it's on the hunt like it's it's coming it's coming for us and then i've got the line Behind him, the bird crests the hill. A thin, watery cry issues forth, forth as if clo- as it closes the gap between itself and the stolen jeep. The creature weaves across the yellow line like a small-town drunk on a Friday night, useless arms flailing excitedly in the air. Why am I getting a comedy image of a wavering drunk man? But also, it's a bird, so it doesn't have arms, it's got wings, but if they're waving, they're flailing uselessly in the air, it's not flying, is it? Like, what? what is happening here? Um, and it just, it all sticks. Like, <laughs> is it an analogy too far? Oh, the entire truck is skidding on one set of wheels, still spinning slowly around the road like an obese figure skater. What? what? Yeah, just weird similes that don't fit. What? There's, and there's a moment where um, there's just, it's just a half sentence, but it's genuinely chilling. So this awful thing that you discover um and it, uh, basically you find out that, that there, there's a there, there's a man we don't know him but we've we've just witnessed something terrible happen to this man and then eventually like like the next half a sentence a few paragraphs later is this man is still alive um chilling like my blood actually went cold and then that was followed with alive and screaming, a terrible high-pitched sound like a little girl with a skinned knee. What? What? Yeah, exactly. It's like, what? What is happening? It sounds like, just from the extracts, and, and granted this is an ex- these are a series of extracts. I'm yeah, like little extracts, just examples of similes that stick. It sounds like... It, I, it sounds like bad Doctor Who fan fiction, or even worse, an attempt to do a fusion between... Darker Doctor Who and the Cthulhu mythos that kind of aims for and then misses because bad, because yeah. really wild similes are uh, like a hallmark of of the Cthulhu mythos, like really wild, really bad kind of you know, not like a bat, not like an ant, not like a hawk, but something eldritch and unknown. That sort of you know that sort of language is common to that sort of fiction, mm. but that's an example of it kind of hitting the mark because you're like okay so it's none of these things but it's after me and it's flying okay i understand and it's you know it's a kind of anti-aliasing a way of storytelling it's like it's not these things but it's this and these weird kind of wild metaphors whereas that sounds like he's he's read those and then i don't know if it's he uh they, yeah, they've read, read those and they, they've missed oh absolutely like it's just in in it in a gen, like in an actual suspensey, actually scary moment, throwing in a comedy simile, it just creates too much contrast. And there, it took me a while to realise. I was just like, I'm not enjoying this, and it's a shame because it is an interesting idea. It's not an idea that I've, I've read before, um, kind of without going too much into the story and, and stuff. But it misses the chance to educate. Um, like there's a, a character with post-traumatic stress disorder. I don't learn anything about post-traumatic stress disorder from this story. That she, um, she has OCD. I don't learn anything about OCD. In fact, to an extent, it's, it's almost slightly misrepresented, but that not not in an actual like issuous way. Like, but it just it just misses, and that's that's kind of the unfortunately the main thing that I took away from it is miss miss and and more missing. Um, yeah, I, di- I, I didn't believe the characters. There was no science or kind of even like fake pseudo theory to back up anything that was happening. I was like literally just being told to accept certain things, and you just you don't get that in writing anymore. Um, I actually meant to try and do a little bit of research on the author because at the back it literally there's two sentences saying he started writing when he was five and he lives with his wife and dog. Um, I meant to do some research to see kind of what else the authors produced. Um, because the, as I said, the idea is is wonderful. So if he's had other good ideas, maybe, maybe there's kind of some some kind of saving work out there. But 
So who's it by and what's it on? Uh, this is The Beautiful Land by Alan Averill uh, from Titan Books. I, I wouldn't. <laughs> Across the world, 24 hours a day, this is Fat Radio International. So we basically talked about science fantasy rather than science fiction. Yeah. Um, it was said he groping for a few. <laughs> um, but yes, I really liked Saga because the point of it being a romance is it actually was a romance and the romance is front and centre. Mm. And I think if you're going to see your story as a romance, that's the thing your story is about. Because it's because character development is the big thing in any storytelling and that's a big thing that changes characters. Yeah, which is because it nicely balanced to the beautiful land in the sense that it shouldn't be billed as a romance because I think it undersells it. Um, and yeah, tell me, <laughs> tell me, she, what you said. Tell me, she doesn't die to give him motivation. <laughs> I'm, I'm not gonna oh. go into it. Oh, see, this is one of fridging the girlfriend. I don't, um, I, I don't mind actually fridging the partner. Providing that we actually care about the partner. So, in a book that I've read recently, uh, a major character gets killed, and you're like, What? And, and yeah. I was actually quite angry because I preferred him to her from yeah. all, of the couple. I, I like that character. And that was the point. The point was that I was supposed to be like, And then you see this character just go completely off the rails. And they say, like, That makes perfect sense. That's how that should work. Yeah. Not, Here is this character. Don't get too attached, splat. What? Yeah, there's kind of at one bit. It looks like there's going to be a damned if you do, damned if you don't moment. Um, which, granted, I, I can find quite hard anyway. Um, but then you remember that actually the thing that was originally going to happen isn't what's happened, and so that's not the situation anymore. So it's just like, all oh, right. So it's not damned if you do, damned if you don't. To be honest, I maybe should have, have read more into the fact that I have hundreds of books. And I have a house rabbit. My house rabbit does not chew anything. This is the only book that my rabbit chews. Oh, that's and a good And if, if I put other books on top of it, he will knock them off and chew this one. And I don't. And I, I, I didn't read into that. And I should. Critic bunny. Yeah. <laughs> I think he's like the pool. The maybe octopus that's the of future books. of the radio book. <laughs> yeah. Here's a part side of feature of the rabbit. The house rabbit. <laughs> see, actually, there's a book in our current pile that I'd be intrigued to see. Waft <laughs> <laughs> under the rabbit's nose, see what the rabbit decides. <laughs> do you know? Do you know that would save so much time if you were if, if, if you were editing professional manuscripts? This is the came in. It's like here are a pile of manuscripts. Here is a bunny rabbit. The ones that survive, they get through the second stage of the process. Do it, but, um, someone, do it. Obviously, we do not select our books through Bunny Rabbit. No. We, we abuse our animals, mostly ferrets. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I like I like my, my space fantasy, and I like my romance, and I like it when they mix together. Weirdly, the thing of Saga, when they say, you know, it's Star Wars for perverts, is the romance The romance in, in Saga is just far superior to any of the alleged romance in Star Wars, of which there's not really... There are those two lines... And then that's it, really. I know. Yeah. What? <laughs> Great. It does work, but it's yeah. kind of minimalist. Very, very minimalist. <laughs> so, it, so it actually does what it, it says it's going to do. We, we're actually given romance in, in this story. The other thing we're talking about, just changing the topic, so we're talking about uh, author bios in the back. Yes. And how uh, sometimes how frustratingly vague they are. Oh, yeah. And uh, the one, the ones that always make me smile is like this is clearly a pseudonym, and we don't want you to ask too many mm, questions. questions. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's, it's, sorry, sorry, I thought if you were an author, it was a nom de plume. 
Or when you read the uh, the bio and you're like, that's that's the main character in the story that I've just read. It is this one, mm. and like when you just from the bio, you can tell an author's like kind of putting the well, best parts of themselves. But right, what you it. know is is the watch phrase, isn't it? It is, but sometimes. Right, <laughs> what you know, of course, being this frustrating, frustratingly vague instruction, because clearly Brian K. Vaughan does not own a wooden spaceship. <laughs> uh, he has not. How been do you know? I'm pretty sure he doesn't have a wooden spaceship. He might have a nice mm. wood house, but he doesn't have a wooden spaceship, um, and and so on. But it's you know that that's not what they mean when they say write what you know. George R. Martin does not have three dragons in his house. How oh, do you know? It's a good question again, and I'm pretty sure he doesn't. And if he, if you are listening, George, and you do have some dragons, can we play with them, please? Please, <laughs> please. Um, but that that's not the point. It's write what you know. Write. You know, from the heart, right from the emotion, right from your understanding, right from your perspective, that's different from right what you know. Right, mm. right, right, right. Truthfully, even when you're lying. Ooh. This is Fab Radio International. Starburst Radio, the greatest radio show in the universe. Every Wednesday. 9pm till 11pm Exclusive to Fab Radio International If you're listening to us live you uh, Coming up next is the live archive Followed by the Sunday Falsies If you're not listening to us live You can find those on FabRadioInternational.com On the Listen, Listen Again section I have been your host Ed Fortune And I've been Del the Book Room is a truly outrageous production for Fab Radio International and Starburst Magazine. Presented by Ed Fortune and Rebecca Derrick. Produced by A.L. Johnson. <laughs>